Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. Today, I'm talking about the council elections in the Illawarra and Shoalhaver regions coming up on December 4. My guest today is Nick McLaren. Nick is lead news reporter for ABC Illawarra. Hello, Nick. Hello. So we're going to start with the city of Wollongong. Uh, Wollongong has traditionally been a Labor town, but the council has been led for the last decade by Gordon Bradbury, a local church minister who was elected as an independent at the special council election held in 2011, following three years of the council being run by state-appointed administrators. Labor currently holds six out of 13 seats on the council, so a gain of one seat would restore Labor's majority council. Nick, do you think Bradbury will win a third term as Lord Mayor? Uh, I think he could win, but it's not uh, given. I think he's going to get a very good run for his money from Tanya Brown, who has is currently the deputy mayor. And, um, yeah, she's even sort of fondly referred to sometimes as the alternative mayor or um, she has a, a growing profile around the city. Uh, she's involved in very many things, you know, sport, business, um, she has a growing profile. So, um, yeah, I think she has a really good chance of knocking him off. And even though Labor doesn't have the mayoralty, they play a pretty big role in the council, right? It's not that they're in opposition to a governing team that Bradbury is a part of. They, they seem to have a lot of influence over what, like what votes pass and things like that. Well, they, they basically make up around half the council. Um, although, having said that, there were 12 councillors, but Vicky King uh, is deceased and so they didn't replace her. So um, there's one less councillor and, um, you know, before when it was even ALP, non-ALP, uh, the independent mayor would have the casting vote. Um, I don't think that they push uh, their ALP um, agenda a lot. Um, I think that is what used to happen in the past, and I think uh, Wollongong has come a long way since then. Uh, you know, since the council was sacked in in two thousand and eight after the uh, ICAC investigation and a whole range of uh, charges being laid, um, and a very small number of them sticking. I think that uh, you know everyone has learned from that experience, and the ABL, the ALP doesn't kind of operate as a as a as a block the way it used to. But, you know, you've still got half the council made up of ALP members. And I think if uh, Tanya Brown becomes the mayor, I mean, is that going to create some kind of new tipping point? If they have a majority, will things start to be done a bit differently? And I think that's the thing that people in Wollongong have to ask themselves. Well, if anyone was listening to previous episodes in this series when we were talking about Campbelltown Council, Campbelltown had been Labor-dominated but not Labor-majority for a long time, but they won a majority at a by-election in 2017 and the journalist who we were chatting to, Eric Contos, was saying um, it totally changed the way the council ran, much more the mayor and the GM passing things and the whole Labor caucus voting in line on most issues. So... Uh, it will be interesting to see how that works because there is a difference between one party being dominant but not in full control and having a total majority. Yeah, maybe it comes down to the Lord Mayor a bit as well because, um, sorry, the general manager a bit as well because the um, the general manager back then in 2008 was Rod Oxley and he very much saw himself as a key player. Uh, he played a very um, 
a frontline role in uh, council decisions and council operations where the uh, general manager now, Greg Doyle, is very much more backroom sort of person. Um, he, he, you can't even get an interview with him generally for the media. Uh, he, he's quite media shy, um, so he doesn't see himself as being a major player, I, I would suggest, publicly anyway. What are the main issues that you think will be prominent in the council election in Wollongong? Housing has been a really big issue and this has been, well, it's big everywhere, but it's played out um, quite a lot in Wollongong. Um, There's been an organisation, the Housing Trust, which is an Illawarra-based housing organisation supporting uh, affordable housing. And they've actually, they actually put out a rating card uh, last week uh, where they rated the different local councils. And they gave Wollongong one out of five. Um, and partly the reason for that is that while Wollongong Council has been talking a lot about uh, intervening a bit to create more affordable housing and putting it in the, the planning guidelines for the city, it's been very slow to act. And there's been a number of cases where they've been sitting on decisions in places like West Apto, which is a rapid a housing growth area, and um, for that reason, they were, they were voted down. Um, but interestingly, in talking to the mayoral candidates, I've recently had discussions with the the four main mayoral candidates, and they're all um, talking up housing uh, and affordable housing as a priority issue for the council. It's just a matter of uh, which mechanism uh, you use to get the changes to make more housing available, whether or not you delegate a percentage of all new developments to housing or whether or not you, um, you know, use the market to, to build more housing so then there's more available uh, at a lower price. Um, so they have different ways of going about it, but all of them are talking up the issue of housing. That's a major issue. Another big one is the mall. There's always been this problem in Wollongong about how you configure the centre of town, whether the mall should be open to cars or not open to cars. It hasn't been open to cars for a while. Um, some of the candidates, or at least one of the candidates, Tanya Brown, the Labor candidate, is saying we should open up part of the mall, inject a bit more life into it. The Greens a candidate, uh, Mithra Cox, is saying, if anything, we should extend the way that the, the the city mall has no traffic. We should make more of the city centre, uh, open it up to pedestrians, open it up to bike lanes and bring in things like ch- uh, children's playgrounds to activate the city centre. Um, and everyone has a different view on, on how to fix up the mall. The mayor seems to be of the view, uh, Gordon Bradbury, that there's a big new development coming to town uh, it's a, a whole city block is being redeveloped by a wind corporation, um, the you know the the the, the TV organisation we mostly know it as, uh, but they have brought up a whole block in the centre of town and they're redeveloping that. And Gordon Bradbury is saying this is what's going to reinvigorate the city and that is going to bring a lot of changes in and of itself, which will, will activate the city centre. Um, and interestingly, another issue is around environment Um, but a lot of the councillors have recently will have all voted together on a new proposal to reduce emissions for the city they want 
the the council itself to be um, zero emissions by 2030 and they want the whole city of Wollongong to be zero emissions by 2050. So um, there seems to be a lot of agreement actually in, in the importance of reducing emissions in the city. But I think when you come down to the detail, some people see it uh, very differently. Uh, for instance, if you talk about um, phasing out coal mining, which is something we all know is being talked about uh, in Scotland or at the moment, or it's going to be talked about in, in Scotland, one of the proposals is, is to phase out coal mining by 2030. So in Wollongong, as you would expect, the Greens would support something like that. But uh, people like the Lord Mayor and the, the Liberal uh, mayoral candidate, John Dorohy, they would say, no, that's that's not, um, you can't do that. That's That's not practical. That's not going to work. Yeah, so um, general consensus for changes around the environment, but when you get into the the, the nitty gritty, yeah, yeah. Maybe we talk a little bit about the political geography of Wollongong before we move on as well. So there's three wards, each ward elects four councillors, and that does have a bit of a funny effect that I'm going to be coming back to on my blog, that when you have the four councillors, one party can get two of those councillors on forty percent of the vote. So. If Labor doesn't have a terrible election, they should win two in every ward and that brings them to half of the non-mayor councillors and then the mayor decides the council and that's what we've had for the last term. Um, But it does mean generally in each ward there's two Labor councillors, there's one Liberal and then there's either a Green or an independent ally of Gordon Bradbury. Um, But generally the northern end of the council's a little bit more middle class the Greens do better up there and a little bit more working class, stronger Labor, uh, less of a Liberal vote uh, in Ward 3, which is like closer to DAPTO, those kind of areas south of the CBD. Any thoughts about that that people who are following this election might want to understand? There's a couple of small interesting things. The Liberal candidate for Ward 3, which is at the bottom end, as you said, um, he has moved to Ward 1, the northern end, Helensburg, and the current sitting Liberal um, uh, councillor from Ward 1, Lee Colacino, he's gone as a result. Um, so that only leads the Liberals with uh, two strong candidates instead of three. So the Liberals might actually lose a councillor. Um, the Greens currently have a councillor in Ward 1 and Ward 2, uh, but they have a very strong candidate running in Ward 3 who has a high public profile. She's a, um, a paramedic and she's a, um, like a conservationist and um, she, could pick up the, uh, she could pick up a position in Ward 3, so that would give the Greens uh, th- three councillors across the city. Um, and that will leave it to the ALP to fill the gap, I guess, and whether they fill the gap um, in Ward 3 um, uh, because there'll be two gaps created in Ward 3. Um, it's probably still a little bit earlier, early to tell. We haven't seen who's nominating in all of the wards. Uh, we haven't seen if there's any new uh, high-profile players coming in that we're not expecting. So, yeah, early days, but it looks as though the ALP should at least retain what it's got, I think. Well, Labor polled 50% in Ward 3 in 2017, which was their best result. And 
three seats requires 60% of the vote after preferences. So you could imagine if they get a small swing towards them, if they get 55, 56%, uh, they could limp across the line and win that third seat and that would give them seven, maybe even eight seats if they win the mayoralty as well. So that's a pretty pretty strong position for Labor in what has traditionally been a pretty strong Labor area. So they have an independent there as well, Dom Figliamini. He's a current councillor. Yeah. He's aligned with the mayor. So he should retain his spot. Um, Anne Martin, who's ALP, she should retain her spot. And then, yeah, one to the Greens and um, maybe the third one could go to, to Labor. Yep. Well, let's move on to Shoalhaven, which is a little bit further south, not immediately next to Wollongong, but it's the next most populous council in the area. I didn't follow Shoalhaven Council in 2016. It just missed my cutoff of councils that I was paying attention to. But it was one of the most interesting election results that year. The Greens councillor, Amanda Findlay, who'd been on the council for a while as a solo Green, uh, ended up winning the mayoralty off Joanna Gush, who was a former federal Liberal MP, leading kind of an independent conservative ticket that had a majority on the council before that election. The political makeup of the council has changed since the last election. Uh, There's a new conservative independent majority. Um, So Nick, Shoalhaven, they have a Greens mayor, but that doesn't really mean the Greens run the council, right? No, they don't. They have a lot of problems getting things through. Um, So this group, the Shoalhaven Independent Group, uh, they've got five councillors and a number of them have been around for a long time. They're very experienced. Greg Watson, Bob Proudfoot, uh, Mitchell Pakes is a member of the Liberal Party. Uh, they're pushing their weight, I guess, and um, they, they could they could win a majority or, uh, in these elections and therefore they could uh, elect the mayor, or sorry, the mayor could be from their group as well. Um, what the Greens have had so far, I guess, is a, a bit of an alliance with Labor and a number of independents. And so I guess you've got that progressive alliance. Um, It's a bit unclear, I think, what's going to happen. There's another new group that's come in called A Fresh Approach. Um, If you look at their their appearance, they appear very blue. Um, They appear to be um, aligned with the conservative side of politics. So that could have an impact. And the other thing that could have an impact is that Joanna Gash, who's the former mayor, uh, who's the former federal member who has had a lot of influence over uh, Shoalhaven Council for a long time, she's not standing again. Um, At the moment, she's got a grouping of about three councillors. So that grouping could be gone. Well, one of the interesting things about that grouping is she did have three councillors at the beginning of the term. Her previous group, I think, had eight including the mayor, um, before the last election. Of those three councillors, though, two of them, basically everyone except her, ended up allying with Greg Watson's Shoalhaven Independent Group. And uh, at least one, well, both of those councillors who switched are now running on the Shoalhaven Independence ticket. Um, So effectively they merged without Joanna Gash. The rest of her team merged with the other Conservative Independent Group. And they now actually have a full majority on the council in their own right. But that's happened since the last election and actually isn't really reflected in my um, list of councillors on my website. 
But um, it does mean that you have this new, bigger alliance. One of the interesting things is the Shoalhaven Independents, who are running everywhere, are running four mayoral candidates. So they're, I guess they're hoping that they'll be able to swap preferences between them and whoever is the strongest will come out and, and beat the Greens mayor. Uh, but it could also backfire if preferences leak and exhaust and they might have enough of a vote to win the mayoralty but don't because of preferences exhausting. And that's just confusing as well, isn't it? <laughs> I can imagine it being confusing, yeah. The other thing that is interesting is a guy called Paul L. So he... Um, Let's just say he's been aligned with Gareth Ward in, in the past, the, the Liberal Kiama MP, uh, who's now an independent, let's say. He's still a member of the Liberal Party, but he's now an independent. So Paul L is running for council, and he's also running for the federal seat of uh, Gilmore. Um, I think he could have a bit of influence on the council. And there's also talk of Paul Green coming back. So he is a former mayor. He was a Christian Democrat in the New South Wales Parliament. Um, some are saying that maybe he's left it too late, but there's uh, talk that he will make a run for council as well. And uh, definitely he would have influence uh, if he would get onto council. So, yeah, it's uh, it could be a very uh, interesting mix of councillors that we end up with in the Shoalhaven. And we're recording this before nominations close, but probably nominations will have closed before this podcast goes out. So you'll know more than us, listener, um, but that's that's the current situation. Um, one other thing about candidates before I move on from that as well is, uh, so the Greens probably like will not get a majority on the council, but there is also a Labor councillor, as you mentioned. Uh, there is a former Greens councillor running on an independent ticket, which still looks vaguely progressive and I could imagine a situation where Greens get three councillors plus the mayor they would need some of those other councillors who are vaguely progressive to form a broader progressive bloc that's the only way you could imagine a centre-left majority on the council is if Labor does a little bit better than they've done in the past maybe this independent gets elected separately and you have a a mixture of councillors that altogether forms a majority rather than expecting the Greens to get there on their own. Including people like uh, Nina DiGiglio. So she yeah. uh, got in as a Green and is now running as an independent um, this time around yeah. with her own group. So, But you would assume that she would still have, you know, form an alliance with, with the Greens if that's what was needed to... Um, uh, if that's what was needed to, to counter the influence of the, the Shoalhaven Independent Group. And are there any big issues that are playing a big role in the Shoalhaven election? Well, I wanted to mention one, and this is something that the mayor mentioned to me, and I think it's an interesting one. She's come up with this idea of bushfire ranges. As we know, the Shoalhaven was completely uh, smashed in the bushfires Um 312 homes destroyed, 173 damaged, three lives lost. Uh, there's a lot of information about that now coming out in books. And one of the issues is about preparedness for bushfires. So the proposal is to have council ranges that would go around to people's houses and effectively prepare them during a bushfire season. I know this is the job of the RFS, but there's a feeling that uh, it wasn't done sufficiently. There weren't enough uh, resources put in this area in the lead up to the summer bushfires. So that's something that they're proposing. And I think it's, uh, it's an interesting idea. Um, I don't know whether that will get the 
rural fire service upset or not. But yeah, in, in an area that's been really devastated by bushfires, people have to come up with ways of thinking differently, of thinking ahead, of preparing for future summers where um, these bushfires are going to happen again. I guess it's one of those issues where with bushfires getting worse because of climate change, maybe the resourcing that used to exist might have been enough, but isn't enough anymore. And they just need more, you know, who can blame the RFS for not being able to provide the full level of service that communities would need as these bushfires have gotten worse, right? Um, so maybe they'll appreciate the help. Now, housing also is a big issue in the Shoalhaven. Interestingly, in that report card that I was telling you about where they rated all the councils, the Shoalhaven got three stars out of five. Um, Wollongong got just one. Shell Harbour got one. Kiama got zero. Um, so the Shoalhaven is enacting some of these measures to ensure that um, when new housing developments occur, that some of them are set aside as affordable housing, um, that it's put in the planning documents of council so that it's a consideration right up front. And also looking at this idea of sort of developers paying some money to ensure that there's there's a pool of funds that can be set aside uh, to invest in affordable housing. So that's an issue. And also um, waste is probably an issue as well because the council has come up with this uh, waste facility that they're building. It's new technology from Poland um, that hasn't been built anywhere in Australia before. And what it does, it takes all your waste. You can mix it all together and it sorts it all and breaks it down into the different categories. So it even eliminates the need for having three or four different bins to break up your waste at home. Um, I think some groups who are opposed to this have been sort of campaigning on how the current waste system isn't working well enough. But um, once this new system is up and operating in a couple of years' time, um, the Shoalhaven could have one of the most progressive uh, waste sorting and waste recycling systems in the country. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out as well. Yeah, it's interesting to see whether the different direction the council's taken over the last five years you wouldn't have thought of the Shoalhaven as a place that would be at the forefront for a party like the Greens, but we'll see if that has consequences in the long run, both policy but also political. I think it's also boosted by the number of people that are moving to the Shoalhaven as it just gets too expensive to live in parts of Sydney and even parts of the northern Illawarra. Um, it's become one of those places, um, I mean, it's, the Shoalhaven, of course, is, the values are going up now, but there's still pockets of it where there is affordable housing that's available not too far from the coast. So I think you've seen a lot of people who want to have a, a, a block, um, a, a green block, maybe you know, grow their own vegetables, that sort of thing, more, a little bit more progressive thinking in that way, um, moving to the Shoalhaven and maybe that's what is supporting some of these moves that, you, that you're getting, uh, the type of people who, who want to see uh, the, these types of policies are moving to the area. Now, there's two other councils in the Illawarra region uh, that I haven't covered as much in depth, but I thought we'd just touch on briefly, Shell Harbour and Kiama. I'm going to first mention the voting system in Shell Harbour. So Shell Harbour voted at the last council election in 2017 to introduce a directly elected mayor, and that meant they switched, and also to introduce wards. That meant they switched from having seven councillors, no wards, to 
eight councillors elected by wards plus a mayor, so two extra councillors. They decided after that election, they had a couple of different options, but they decided to break the council into four wards, each electing two councillors. And that will have an effect that it's really not very proportional and it will tend to be, it'll tend to produce deadlocks and if one party does well, they'll do very well. So you need 33% of the vote to get one seat in a ward. You need two-thirds of the vote to win two, which means if you had two remotely competitive parties, you would expect them to win 4-4 four, four and nothing else. The Liberal Party aren't that strong in Shell Harbour. If they even run, I'm not, I, I don't know if they will. Um, but Labor will definitely win four of those council seats, which means if they can win the mayoralty, which they are likely to, uh, that gives them a majority, even if they don't come close to 50% of the vote. Um, Nick, is there anything else of interest to you from Shell Harbour and Kayama? The thing about Shell Harbour is the mayor, Marianne Saliba. So she's a former state member for Illawarra, the, the, the seat that became pretty much Shell Harbour. Um, she's been on council since 2012, or she's been mayor since 2012. Um and she pretty much dominates the council. I can't see somebody running, a high-profile candidate running against her yet, um, and she might just increase her dominance, if you like, on the council. Um, we have an independent who's loosely aligned to the Greens. We have another independent who used to be part of the Liberals. There, there was another Liberal a uh, person voted on to council who ceased to be a Liberal after a while. Um, so there's not many people putting up much resistance to the dominant, the dominance of Labor in the council. And um, this, yeah, as you say, this may be extended after this election. One of the big issues there has been the uh, Shell Cove development. So this was a um, massive housing development in a marina now uh, that is just uh, accepted its first boat this week. Um, ironically, this marina was meant to be built in time for the 2000 Olympics. It was going to have its first boat uh, by the year 2000, but it's been delayed that long. Um, but it has really reshaped Shell Harbour massively and the whole idea of Shell Cove and the Shell Cove Marina was really a way to get around the declining uh, employment at the steelworks as it shed tens of thousands of jobs back in the 80s um, and it, it has created an enormous amount of employment mainly in you know construction but it creates ongoing jobs in terms of homes and um, you'd have to say it has been fairly successful, except that, uh, you know, when it started out, a lot of these homes were affordable and now, the, like everywhere, the, the prices are coming becoming pretty outrageous. But, um, yeah, there has been a lot of long-term planning there that is, that is finally coming to fruition now, and I guess that's what Labor is going to trade on, saying that we've been behind this and... and um, now we're seeing the results of all that that work over over years and, and decades. And Kayama? Yeah, Kayama, um, Mark Honey, who's the current mayor, he's not running again. Um, but just having a look at the groups that are running in Kayama, um, some people have been there for a while and um, are not, they're running 
according to groups that don't necessarily show what their allegiances are. What I mean by that is one of the groups is called Team Riley. Neil Riley uh, has run for the ALP for state and federal seats. He's been there for a long time. So he, he obviously uh, has an alliance to, to Labor. Um, he's running his own team, but he's calling himself an independent. We also have another group called We Love Kayama, and that's headed up by Matt Brown. So he's a former tourism minister, police minister um, in the New South Wales Parliament, New South Wales Labor. Um, so he obviously has connections to Labor as well. Uh, he has his team. There's also a Labor team. Um, so that would suggest a lot of Labor influence, but in the past there's always been Liberals as well as Independents and Greens on Kaima Council. It's quite a mix. Um, and there's another new group that started called Safe Kaima, which stands for Sensible, Accountable, Fair and Environmentally Responsible. So there's a bit of a mixed bag there. Um, there's some people standing down that uh, have been there for a while and there's a green ticket with Cathy Rice. She's a current um, councillor running again, leading the Greens ticket. So, yeah, it could be a lot of fresh faces uh, in Kiama. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Nick, for joining me. Thank you. That was good fun. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.